All right. Hi, and welcome to uh, From Many People's Strength, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. My name is Corey, and my pronouns are he and him. And my name is David. My pronouns are they and them, and I'm okay with he and him as well. And it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, long time no see. Completely uneventful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We recorded an episode two months ago, but never published it because I got busy covering extra shifts at work. And uh, it's been nonstop covering of extra shifts uh, yeah. for the entire time. So, Well, and it was, it seemed like every single week during the hiatus, there was some news story that both of us were like, oh, I wish we could cover this. And then we come back <laughs> and things have actually quieted down a little bit over the last couple right. of weeks. So it's yeah. a matter of either going back and covering things from a month ago or just picking up where we left off or picking up from where we are and moving forward and maybe having a slightly less um, ground shaking <laughs> things to go over, but still. Yeah, still which is, few. yeah, which well, is okay. I think, I think we'll still cover a couple of the things that happened in the last month, couple months. Um, but uh, I guess we can just get right into it. Yeah. Uh, the Saskatchewan government is under fire for uh, funding independent schools run by anti-LGBTQ churches. This was posted at the end of June, uh, June third, 23rd. So about uh, almost four weeks ago now. Um, but yeah, so there's uh, in... Uh, in the article, they say last month, the province formally announced the 21 independent and four historic, quote unquote, historical schools in Saskatchewan that will, will receive $17.5 million in operating grants for the 2022 and 2023 school year. As per the latest provincial budget, that includes $2.6 million towards a new certified independent school category. And the school, province says the schools that will fall under the new category are still to be determined. Uh, in the article, uh, Dustin Duncan talks about uh, having more choice in education. And mm. I find that to be kind of a uh, a red flag, I guess. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the uh, school choice uh, idea because that often means that public schools are underfunded. But yeah, absolutely. Like that is 100% what it means. It siphons money. <laughs> out of the public system like that yeah. is that is what it is intended to do like that is that is not an unfortunate side effect that is very much part of its intent it is <laughs> it is designed around undermining public education um and it is yeah. it is a very much a a backdoor to privatizing education um that's its own issue above and beyond any right. of the, the religious aspects. Um, both are, are incredibly troubling and problematic. Yeah, the... Uh, I I mean, obviously, we're both non-believers. I have a hard enough time with uh, funding religious schools, let alone schools that uh, are discriminatory against LGBTQIA uh, students yep. and whatnot, uh, like family members and, and such. Like it's, it's, I don't know, it's really bad when our provincial leaders think that like that's okay. Like because they're, they want to promote what they call like freedom of religion, right? It's the same thing as they have going on down in the States. But and like, again, uh, I go back to even if it, even, 
if there was a purely 100% secular private school that was siphoning money out of the public system, I, I would still <laughs> object to it. Like that would still be a problem. Um, yeah. The fact that, um, you know, I think there are inherent issues with private schools to begin with. I think, um, you know, as soon as you start creating um, separate education systems for the rich, um, you're, you're running into uh, a, a factor where um, this is just about reinforcing social stratification and the like a divide between um rich and poor and and a variety of different social divides um so that that is a problem in and of itself um but when you add in the religious aspect as well um it, it becomes even more problematic um and like the one of the things that um, comes up in this article, this idea that um, Westgate Heights Academy is owned and run by Westgate Alliance mm-hmm. Church. The church put out a discipline and restoration policy um, that explicitly states homosexuality is in violation of scriptural moral standards and is the equivalent to such crimes as fraud and sexual assault. Um, like, so they're, 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 defense essentially is they come back and say oh well that doesn't apply to the school that's only for the church itself um (laughs) no right right like it'd be like me saying i have a rule for my entire house every single part of my house says x is a rule why would you think my son's bedroom is affected by that like (laughs) it's like the the school is owned by the church. It is run by the church. Um, it has yeah. discriminatory hiring practices that allow for it to um, hire based on the church. Like all of these things say it is part of the church. Um, and to suggest that, oh, well, this policy doesn't really apply to the school is nonsense. Yeah, um, for sure. I think everyone knows that it, it applies to the school. Um, yeah, like, so I think it's well established, right? Like that, uh, and well known by many people in the province that by doing this, the province is funding discrimination. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's where we're at. Like the, our public money is going to fund discriminatory practices, uh, in schools. It's, it is I, one of these things where it is incredibly frustrating because, it's not like, it's not like this isn't known. It's not like, haha, this was revealed and now there can be something done about it. It's the government knows what's happening. They intend to have it happen. Um, and yeah. many of the people in this province support it. So yeah. like, yeah, it, it's, it is incredibly frustrating. I don't, um, again, it's one of those weird stories where I, I don't know what more yeah. can be said because at this point, um, at some point, at some point, the people who vote for the Sask Party but don't want to be called homophobes and bigots need to have a good hard look in the mirror and say, right. which of these things is more important to me? Yeah. Like, That's what right. is more important? My identity as someone who votes for, for the Sask Party or my belief that I am not a bigot? Because <laughs> at, at some point, you 
have to acknowledge those two things cannot coexist. Um, it, I, I don't know how much more blatant it can be when you have support for public taxpayer money going to teaching children that being gay is the same as sexually assaulting someone. So, Councillor Shaw, uh, she talked about how some people are homeless. They don't want to be in homes. It was very... Well, and she specifically uh, said there are Indigenous people out there who choose to be homeless and want right. to Right. Yeah. It's, it's a very... It was a very messed up comment. You can go to the CTV News uh, link. We'll provide in the show notes to, to, to see it. But uh, in this one on uh, June 30th, uh, Regina's mayor, uh, Sandra Masters, apologized for the comments uh, the councillor made on Indigenous culture and homelessness. Yeah. Uh, it's important to he, note, Shaw herself did not apologize. Like, no. The article headlines seem to make it, on some of the stories around this, oh, seem yeah. to make it sound like Shaw herself apologized, which is not what happened. The mayor apologized, and not even on Shaw's behalf, but like the mayor as a person, <laughs> as a human being, being like, I, <laughs> to summarize, I am so sorry we have this wackadoodle on our, <laughs> she did not say that. She was far more politically uh, astute than I am. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, this is on it, brand for Shaw though. It like, is. This is yeah. very much on brand for Trina Shaw. Um, like she's she's not stupid she knows what she's doing these are not accidental slip-ups she she means what she says when she like she believes that indigenous people who are suffering are suffering because of their own choices and their own failure of character and she believes that uh, you know when it comes to um, recognition of pride within schools, um, that yeah. this is um, the, akin to bestiality or whatever she compared it to, um, or when looking at banning conversion therapy, I, again she believes she believes what she is saying out loud and implying and inferring. Um, these are not um, these are not accidental things that are misspoken they are intentional statements made during council meetings made during prepared statements posted on social media um, written out like thought through posted these are not accidental slips of the tongue um and that's again that's what this was it was not an accident it was it it it, it she legitimately honestly believes that indigenous people who are homeless or going through a rough time or are, are suffering from marginalization are, are doing so because of their own failings right? Um, or their own and their own moral failings. And she'll backpedal and say she's taken out of context or say, oh, that's not really what I meant or this was a gotcha. But none of these are gotcha questions. Like these no. aren't her coming out of nowhere. Um, no, that's right. And the the apologies when she does apologize are always couched in um weasel words they they never really apologize apologies and this time she hasn't even attempted to make an apology no she did say that she was 
she felt that oh, she said that she felt she was misrepresented, but I don't see mm-hmm. how one can misrepresent what she says outright. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, she, 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 she goes by the just asking questions defense, right? She goes, right? I'm not saying these things. I'm just asking questions. As though none of us were on the internet in 2016. <laughs> like, right. We've all seen this before. Yeah. You're jacking off. We get it, but it's still bullshit. Um, she, honest, I mean, I don't have any inside knowledge, inside knowledge or anything about what she's going to do, but I could see, this plays to a certain base within the Saskatchewan uh, political well, for uh, sure world. It does. So I could see her moving into a, a provincial politics, even if, you know, this doesn't actually like make her, a, a, she doesn't win council seat again or something. Like I could see it moving into provincial, her pr- moving into the provincial oh, sure. sphere. Yeah. And that's, that's been like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would not be shocked by that in the slightest. Um, and you know, it, she's she's making a name for herself in the circles who want to hear these just asking questions, right? She's like, the Marjorie Taylor Green of Saskatchewan. <laughs> and, and and to be fair, like up here, you do have to be slightly more subtle than Marjorie Taylor Green can be. Yes. Um. So she's she's couching it a lot more, but yeah. Um, but she's we'll, saying we'll like where it goes as she gets more yeah. emboldened, right? Yeah, that's right. Like much of the same stuff. Like she was the, the counter voice on the, uh, um, conversion therapy debate. She was the, the, on the wrong side of, uh, pride events. She's on the wrong side of homelessness. She's, you know, she's on the wrong side of all of these issues. So she's our, she's, yeah. The, the wrong side of masks, um, the wrong, wrong side, side of, masks. of vaccines. Like it's been, Yeesh. yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see where, where that goes. But again, the, the nice thing is if we're going to focus on a positive. Yep. She's more and more becoming isolated on the council. We, we yeah. do have a, uh, a council that for the most part, um, she sticks out because she's not just one of five who's talking this way. Um, she's, yeah. she's more and more becoming the, the devil's advocate on council, which again, we, I think you and I both have opinions about people who feel the need to always be devil's advocate. Um, But (laughs) the nice part is it does tend to look like she's in opposition to the more um, stable. I don't know what the term I want to use is. I don't want to say left-wing part of council because they're more left-wing than most political bodies, but they're still largely a centrist group. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're slightly more progressive than, uh, yeah. They're, they're a left of center there. If, if city councils had political parties, it would be a, it would probably be a relatively right wing NDP or a left wing liberal, right? Like that's right. sort of yeah. where they would be. We're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not dealing with the, the socialist party of Saskatchewan or anything, but nope. to your chagrin. To my, much to my chagrin. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah. Speaking right. of the right, the right wing of the NDP. <laughs> yes. Uh, Carla Beck wins the Sask NDP leadership uh, to be the first woman to be elected leader. Uh, I don't know how big of a statement that is. Both candidates were yeah. women. There was, I don't know. Yeah. Were there other candidates yet at any point? I, I only had known of the two. 
And I shouldn't say the right wing of the NDP. I was being a little facetious. The centrist (laughs) wing of the NDP. Um, Yeah. I I like Beck. Um, I I think she's, I I like her more than I've liked most of the other leaders we've had in the last, I think, I I like her more than I like any of the leaders we've had in the last decade and a half. That's fair. um, (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't dislike. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't dislike Carla Beck. I, I'm, I'm, I am happy to see a a woman leading a political party in Saskatchewan. It's not like that's super common here. Um, the uh, of the two, I think I would have vote, chosen um, the other candidate whose name is escaping me at the moment. Harvey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Harvey. Uh, I'm right. trying to remember her last first name. Sorry, Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin Harvey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Beck did receive 70% of the vote. Uh, so, I mean, that's, uh, that says something. She's got a lot of the support of the N- NDP within the province. Uh, I mean, I'm just hoping that since the system isn't changing anytime soon, I'm hoping that Carla Beck can sort of make some progress for the NDP yeah. in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it'll... I still stand by the same thing I've said since our very first episode, 50 episodes ago. Um, the left is not going to win back this province by being bland. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the NDP, as much as they think they can capture those right-wing voters um, it's by going not. to the center, <laughs> I, I, I think sometimes, and this... Um, is getting a little bit more esoteric, and, and I fall prey to this sometimes too. I think sometimes those of us who are politically astute and politically involved, especially politicians, overestimate the level to which people pay attention to policies and platforms and ideas um, yeah. and yeah. are aligned politically along a left-right spectrum. Um and, you know, I use the example that um, how many Bernie Sanders voters second choice was Donald Trump and how many right. Donald Trump voters second choice was Bernie Sanders. Um, they just knew they hated the center. Um, yep. They knew they hated the bland middle. Um, <laughs> yep. And, and 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 I think you have a lot of people who are, are far more invested in the exciting team than they are in any specific policy yeah. or platform or idea and shift from left to right and whatnot. So it's not about trying to appeal to these more right-wing voters by trying to shift closer to the center. It's about appealing to voters who are drawn in by someone actually willing to stand for something yeah. by actually being willing to stand for something. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be where the NDP have a chance at success is actually being willing to stand for something um and and i it's gonna there's gonna be a few different ways of doing that i don't necessarily have the answer on which no key thing to stand for is the the important one but i think you're gonna need to get people's attention get people invested emotionally and that's what the ndp have not had the ability to do since roy Rowan. yeah like right Romano was a centrist. Romano yeah. was like a hard centrist. He's, <laughs> but he had charisma. Like, and- but he had charisma and he stood for things and he was excited. He was a passionate federalist and he, um, you know, 
wrapped himself in the Canadian flag um, right. for good and for ill. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he got people excited about him, right? Um, you know, he uh, didn't hide his Ukrainian roots. And, like, there, there were things about him that made him stand out. Yeah. Um, and and I've a bit of a broken record. Um, but if you, you look at um, the variety of leaders that we've had, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to pull them out of a lineup as to which were which. Right. Back at least I can visually tell apart from others. <laughs> Miley too. He was, uh, yeah, yeah. He had, a, he had facial hair. Um, <laughs> That's so, right. So that made it easier. He was, yeah. Yeah. He, he was, he, he's shorter, I think. Um, <laughs> But again, I, I want to see some excitement. I want to see <laughs> yeah. them come out and actually stand for something. Um, heck, even if they're a passionate centrist and are vocally passionate about a policy that is a centrist policy, if they're passionate about it, that's fine. Just don't blandly drift towards the center because that's what you think are, are going to maybe yeah. appease some of the people who will never vote for you in a million years. That And that's, I think, I think that's the rub, right? Like the people that they're trying to convert often are people that won't ever vote for them anyway. So why not be dynamic and believe in something and be vocal about a thing that, you know, maybe you can appeal to a lot of the non-voters in the province, but. And, and I get, I get for someone who is one of the, handful of seats that the NDP still has, there is a personal risk of them losing their seat, right? Yeah. Like if you go from 14 down to nine or whatever seats you have, um, there's five people who lose their job. And for those five people and their families and their support staff and whatnot, there is a real tangible loss that yep. occurs. But from a policy standpoint, from the ability to affect change within the province, dropping from 14 down to nine really doesn't change a lot. It changes some committees and the ability right. to ask questions. Like It, it does have some impact, some funding issues, uh, especially yeah. if you run the risk of losing official party status or something like that. But for the most part. If you come up to me and say, hey, they're at 14 seats right now or whatever they're at. I don't even know the exact number. Um, they're at 14 seats right now. And there's a 20% chance of them getting 50% plus one and an 80% chance of them dropping down to nine. I would say take that. That is 100% a good gamble um, because it's like yeah. saying you have $10 now. There's a 20% chance of getting a hundred thousand and a 80% chance of dropping down to nine, right? Like it's right. at that point, the, the benefits of your win are so much more. It's worth the gamble. It outweighs but, the risk. Yeah. Right. <sighs> Just that's the, each individual seat is not equal. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, that's I fingers crossed, fingers crossed that yep. we, we, we get to see some of something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sass judge finds mask mandate not rights violation in convicting man. So provincial court judge Michelle Marquette found a mask mandate did not deprive the man of his constitutionally protected rights and freedoms. <clears throat> <laughs>
like <laughs> I, I kind of want to say water right? is wet and the sky is blue. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, governments have been allowed to implement health code, health codes, um, yeah. and charge people for health code violations for a very long time. Um, that is not like we've been saying this si- since the start of the past. It's like yeah. since we started the show, basically, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like, like it, it. This is pretty basic stuff. Um, it, you don't have a right to put other people at risk. That's what it amounts to. Masks, yeah. uh, vaccines. Like that's that's one of the big ones that everybody's worried about, right? Is like my body, my choice. But you don't have a right to put other people at risk. And the law says that you have to have it. Then you have to have it, even if you disagree or even if you find it frustrating. Yeah. And it's not. And, yeah. And the argument was that. The, the mask, wearing a mask is a political statement rather than a health statement. So the defense in the case essentially had to prove that the wearing of a mask isn't about health guidelines. It was about politics. Right. Um, <laughs> Good luck. And so, <laughs> right, like that, because that would be illegal, right? Like if if the, um, the provincial government came out and says... Um, Everyone has to, you know, in order to uh, enter a political or enter a public building, you need to wear an I love the Sask Party t-shirt right? Um, or a button yeah. that says I love the Sask Party. That would be illegal, right? That That's a yeah. that's a charter violation because that is purely about forcing people into political messaging. Um, so I, I get sort of the tack he was taking because if he could essentially prove that the masks were on the balance more about the political statement that they express rather than actual health reasons it would be a violation and that, that speaks to giving him yeah yeah that speaks the to their tiniest, tiniest bit, <laughs> the, yeah the tiniest <laughs> tiniest bit of uh, credit is he's not wrong that there are there were people and still are people probably for whom the wearing of the mask was as much a political statement as it was a health thing, right? Right. We we know that the um, human tendency to be swept up in the crowd and to have a herd mentality exists across the political spectrum, right? The the left is not immune to it. um, And I am sure there are people who only believed that COVID was real, not because they understood the science or believed the scientists, but because their political team was the team that believed COVID was real. Like, yeah, yeah. like I, yeah. I have enough, <laughs> I am, I am jaded enough about my own political allies to know yeah. that that is true on my side as well as the other side. That's the little However. tiny bit of credit I will get. <laughs> However, that, that that's not why the mask mandate was there. Yeah. That is certainly why a small percentage of people who wore masks wore masks. Yeah. Um, I, we've all seen the, the memes, or many of us have seen the memes that said, even after this is done, I, you know, even after I was vaccinated, I wanted to keep wearing the mask because I didn't want people to think I was an asshole. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there is still some of that, right? Yep. It was a it was a political affiliation statement, just not in totality was that the primary aspect of it so right, yeah. that was what the court case largely boiled down to yeah that wasn't what the government mandate was based on right no so yeah yeah and i think especially in saskatchewan it's a hard case to try and prove that that's <laughs> yeah. what the mandate was about because you have a government who implemented it who 
was very sympathetic to this the anti-vax anti-mask hard right um yeah, for sure. side so i see you you kind of brought it up in a different way but uh with the being jaded about your own allies but on my and like i know there were people who chose not to wear a mask as a political statement like they specific sure. you know like that was but the, the most of us who were wearing masks were doing it because it was a health thing like so it was so off so they kind of have the political perspective of it backwards in a in a way yeah i think you know yeah (laughs) i i think there was i think there was politics on both sides and i think there was actually held beliefs on both sides as well i think there were people who honestly don't think the masks helped that that was a genuinely held belief that they honestly thought the masks yes were not yeah. beneficial. Like, I, I think they were wrong. Um, I, I think they did their, their, their understanding of the disease did not catch up with the science when the science changed. Right. Um, cause that's what science does. Cause if like March of 2020, the, the, the generally held belief at the time, the scientific consensus in March of 2020 was you don't need to wear masks unless you are actively displaying symptoms. Yeah. Like that was what health officials were saying two and a half years ago or two and a quarter years or whatever it was like, whatever it is. Yeah. But then they gained understanding, right? Like yep. Yep. that's what science is supposed to do. Um, and just, I think some people just didn't catch up. Um, yep. So there, I think there are true beliefs on both sides. And again, I, I, it's probably irrelevant of the people who wore masks, how many people wore masks because they honestly believed scientists and how right. many people wore masks because of peer pressure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, no, it, it really probably doesn't, doesn't matter, yeah. right? It's yeah. like if someone's not smoking because they were, you know, peer pressure has the peer pressure flipped on smoking. So now smoking is a, has a social stigma as opposed to a social cachet. Or they actually understand the impacts to their lungs, or da 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 da. Um, eh, like at some point, humans are humans, and humans are swayed yeah. by emotion far, far more than they're swayed by facts. Um, yep. Ideally, you want you want the emotion to align with the facts. But uh, my friend Damien often says, like, we are not logical creatures that are sometimes swayed by emotions. We're emotional creatures that sometimes use reason and logic. <laughs> yeah. Often reason and logic to justify our emotions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we use our logic to try and find an excuse for why we're doing what we're doing, not actually motivate why yeah. we're doing what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, because we're motivated already. So. Yeah. All right. And it, it's layers on layers. It, so, anyways, well, we'll move yeah, on. For I sure. was going to get philosophical. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about buses instead of philosophy. Uh, so. Regina is going to eliminate the city transit fees for those under the age of thirteen, uh, and it was a unanimous vote on uh, city council. I apologize to Saskatoon uh, listeners and and viewers. Like, this is what comes across my feed. I'm from Regina, so. <laughs> I, I can summarize my reaction. Now uh, I will not blow out your uh, your monitors or my, the microphone, but it was a very loud. Uh, I guess this is, this is incredible news. This is one hundred percent a good thing. Um, I am yeah. very very excited by it. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just it's good all around. 
Um, the 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 it was originally going to come in as it was only they were only free if they were accompanied by an adult. Um, that got removed. So, just great. It's yeah. Any kids? Um, I like it. It directly benefits me. I am I am a, <laughs> a direct winner of this. Um, in that, um, my kids take the city bus. Um, they usually take the school bus, but at the end of last year, they were taking the city bus uh, home from school. Um, and this coming year, there's a very good chance. Um, we still need to figure some stuff out, but there's a very good chance many days my my kids will both take the city bus to and from school. Now, my older son's now in high school, um, so it doesn't apply to him because he's 14. Um, but that looks like that's going to hopefully change now as well, too. So, Yeah, yeah, no, that which is absolutely great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Urge Council, uh, Florence Stratton, who was one of the people who spoke at Council on Wednesday, urged them to... Expand the free fare to anyone 18 and under, which is, would be absolutely fantastic. Like that's, uh, that, I mean, I'm too late. <laughs> my, my teenage kids, they don't live here or they're actually past that, but it would have been like really fantastic if I hadn't had to spend 50 bucks a month on, or whatever it was yeah. on a bus fare. And one of the things when it comes to public transit is I don't think people understand the, how cyclical the support is both in um downward spirals and upward spirals um i i've been saying since i moved to saskatchewan uh, i moved here in 1992 and was horrified by and i was in high school at the time horrified by the buses here um but no one takes the buses because they were expensive and you don't they're not very good like the right. routes are inconvenient a lot of times um there are there are places that are a half hour to 40 minute walk that are a two and a half hour bus ride um there are places that are a 10 minute drive that are a two hour bus ride <laughs> people don't take the bus which means yeah. the buses don't have enough ridership which means they don't have enough funding which means they're not very good routes which cause people to not take like it, it, yep. you see the you see the cycle um and you know we're not toronto we're not ottawa um nope. like we're not a mega city um that has subways or in the case of ottawa ottawa doesn't have a subway system it's one of the largest cities not to have a subway system so they right. have a very good bus system um and i like i remember coming here as a teenager in ottawa being spoiled where it was if i missed the bus depending on the time of day if it was during like before and after school like if it was this is the bus i'm taking to or from school my wait time would be two minutes three minutes or five minutes till the next bus um, <laughs> right. off of peak hours 15 minutes or half an hour at the absolute most depending on which right. bus I'm taking. um and then i come here and experience regina transit <laughs> i think if you get people taking the bus if you get people understanding and used to it it builds they build ridership and um the 17 and 18 year old who took the bus for free now is in university and now can buy the university bus pass yep. and are used to it or looking at working downtown and now that they're working have to balance out okay i have a 150 dollars parking or I have a bus pass, maybe yeah. the bus pass isn't so expensive now, now that I'm having to pay for it. Um, and then you're building up your ridership 
you're you're building the culture as well. And that's a long term thing. Um, but uh, and, like one of the sorry, go on. Well, I was just gonna say, and and there's read there's areas of the city that are uh, very walkable once you're down there. Once you're yeah. like downtown, it's very walkable. Uh, yeah. In the south end, there's a pretty it's pretty walkable in some areas. Um, no. Out east here, we're having a <laughs> it's not so walkable, <laughs> but it, it isn't. But um, you can use like. Again, we're not at the Regina isn't at the point where it's economically feasible yet. Yeah. But you do have those mid-sized cities, so cities that are too small for subway, um, but large enough to have good public transit. Um, you have things like park and ride, where mm-hmm. you drive to a mall parking lot, you hop on the bus there, and it's a bus that basically just shuttles back and forth between your downtown core and a transit-owned parking lot or a parking lot where you partner with them all right um and once you start getting stuff like that once you start establishing that buses are actually efficient and useful you remove some of the stigma as well right because if you hear someone takes a bus to work in regina you automatically assume they're poor not uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a hundred percent of the time they are but you would be surprised if you heard that someone making 90 grand a year working in a downtown office building took the bus to work. Right. Right? Yep. You, that would be weird to you. Whereas it's not in other major cities, right? right. In, in those mid-sized cities, or in large cities too, when you have subways, you know, you have people in Toronto who are making 200 grand a year taking the GO train. Right. Um, like it, that's not unusual. Um, they're maybe not taking it at 11 o'clock at night, but they're taking it at 7 a.m. on the way to work and 5.30 on the way home. Yeah. Um, and same with buses in other cities. So once you start removing that stigma, you get more ridership as well. And then you're getting some of those buses that come from the Wiscana views. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the more affluent neighbors up in the Northwest. But like you get some of these affluent neighborhoods out that are outside the ring road um, wherever they are in the city. Yeah. It's a 20 minute car ride into the, into downtown hopping on the bus instead, reducing traffic, reducing pollution, um, freeing up parking space, revitalizing downtown just yep. wins all around. I'm, I'm proselytizing it's about so, it's the larger so picture rather than you just, talk about it. <laughs> but this is going back to the story itself. This is part of what leads to that, right? Right. Is, is if you, make it so that bus becomes normal, then it's normal. And like, I I do know someone who is in those higher income earning areas, um, makes 90 grand a year, takes the bus to work because they came from a city where that's just normal. And they're in Regina I'm like, yeah, I just, I'll take the bus to work. And that's not unusual um, because they got used to it. And yeah. that's, I think where with this thing with the, with the youngsters, you hook them young. Um, but you got to put <laughs> yep. on something positive, right? <laughs> yeah, get them in the habit of riding the bus. <laughs> yeah, yep, for sure. I went. I went long because we so rarely have positive news stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I, wanted, I love that. I wanted to pontificate on something positive for once. Yeah, we're and we're going to need to do more bus stuff, more public transit, uh, if we want to actually deal with climate change someday. <laughs> so so this is great 
on to something a little less great. So, uh, former Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall texted advice to convoy organizer, according to a CTV report. <sighs> I'm not sure what the sentence structure is here, but it says, had no contact with Sask convoy organizer, did not discuss with Wall, Sask Premier Scott Moe. <laughs> so, so Scott Moe didn't have any contact with the Sask convoy organizer and didn't discuss it with Wall. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... So Brad Wall. Brad Wall did help, and Scott <laughs> yeah. Moe did not talk with the organizer or Brad Wall. Yeah. Now, of course, if this comes out that he's lying, we will then be told we misunderstood the statement he's making in that. He didn't actually mean that he had no contact with Brad Wall. He just didn't necessarily discuss this with Brad Wall, right? Because, of course, they're... they're and by discuss this, he meant as political <laughs> figures as opposed to just two people having a conversation. Right, like we'll, right. We'll come up with reasons why this yeah. wasn't really a lie. Absolutely. I shouldn't assume he's lying, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Premier Scott Moe is facing questions after it was re revealed that his predecessor had given advice to the Freedom Convoy organizers in February. Um, yeah, I'm not actually surprised that Brad Wall was talking to a convoy organizer. Uh, I wanted to go a little bit through some of these points that he kind of, these advice that he gave, because I thought it was interesting. Um, one of the points he said was that he was telling him that it is really important that any of those who are trying to hitch their wagon to this convoy with ulterior motives and off messages especially racist stuff, be openly and roundly condemned by the organizers. This is advice that only some organizers follow and some did not. <laughs> to his credit, though, that's good advice. That's very good advice. Good job, I wish Brad. there had been more of that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely wish there had been more of that. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was saying that the convoy was, quote, creating elbow room for provinces to move away from the mandates, end yeah. quote, which I think is fair as a statement, like, uh, it gives them, uh, like, it gives the Saskatchewan, the yeah, it's, it gives the Saskatchewan government the chance to say, hey, look, the mandates are unpopular. People don't like them. We can take them off. Well, and it gives them the ability to say, hey, we're not like the crazy people. We're just. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. We're reasonable. We're not saying go up and lick people with COVID. <laughs> we're saying you don't have to wear masks and we'll do absolutely nothing to prevent it. Yeah, right? that's like, right. You don't well, seem near, like. You don't seem nearly as bad when you're comparing to those guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, so he was saying organizers should declare, quote, a victory of sorts, unquote, after provinces started to remove COVID-19 measures, which absolutely happened and and is a talking point after the fact uh, of many people who were pro-convoy that are, they're not, they declared victory. And, you know, now, now you have to argue as a, non-convoy person you have to argue that hey that's not what caused this so it's like pushing a boulder up the hill and he was advising that the organizers donate some money to charity and suggest and suggested a headline for a potential press release <clears throat> which i'm not sure if they did or not i know their money issues were all kind of wacky uh, i don't know where the if the money ended up going back to donors or what but uh yeah like I say, it doesn't surprise me that uh, Scott Moe was in favor of the convoy. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that Scott Moe was uh, also in favor, but just didn't, like, I mean, he did have a statement 
kind of talking in favor of the trucker rallies or the convoys. So the issue is they want it both ways, right? Like that that's that's ultimately one of the biggest problems is they they are trying to thread that needle um actually it's not even that i shouldn't even say thread the needle it's a pretty broad <laughs> path to go through because i say thre- saying thread the needle you know on one side appease the truckers and those who are the extreme and on the other side sort of not come across as completely sort of unhinged um but you you have a large portion of SAS party voters who aren't in the like who do oppose some of the more extreme aspects who are still just absolutely happy to turn a blind eye yeah and it's sort of going back to what i talked about in our very first story about like you have a number of people um who 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 don't think that um you know the vaccines were evil and bad and a conspiracy and you know it's not some secret george soros experiment to turn all of the frogs gay um or who don't think that um public money should be going towards uh teaching children that being gay is just as bad as sexual assault right um they they don't think that but they're just still willing to vote for those mm-hmm. who put forward policies in line with those things because they can rationalize in their head that that's not actually what's happening. So Mo doesn't have to really thread the needle that narrowly because he's given a lot of leeway. As long as he can at least have the semblance of I'm not 100% in their pocket. Yeah. Um the, there's enough people in this province who are aligned with that team. Their team identity um, will trump sort of their ap- misapprehension yep. Yep, about some sure. of those beliefs. And yeah. again, it, it, it's that's not a that sounds like I'm being negative, and I, I obviously <laughs> to some yeah, degree a am. Bit. <laughs> but it, but again, that's human nature, and it's again, tying everything together, it's why it's so important that the NDP be more than just the bland opposition. Because if you can get people associating themselves with your team, the same thing will be true on the other side. Like, the those same voters who are not in favor, like who who are not in favor of teaching kids that homosexuality is evil, are also maybe not in favor of um, certain more left-wing economic policies right. that they would turn a blind eye to or look the other way or sort of grin and bear it if it was their team putting it forward, right? Yeah. Like if they start associating themselves with the NDP, if they start to get excited, if they start to identify themselves with that brand, then when there is a social program that comes forward around, not even economic, let's say a social program around um, free consumption sites or safe consumption sites, um, not even free consumption sites, but just safe consumption sites even, yeah. now all of a sudden they're like, I don't like safe consumption sites. They'll start justifying it to themselves. Oh, well, it's not actually a needle exchange. It's not actually like those places in Vancouver that I hate. It's right. not actually. And like, don't get me wrong. I like those places in Vancouver. I think those are good things. But if we can get them emotionally invested with the brand of 
NDP, being excited, being aligned with that political movement, they can grin and bear it, or they can rationalize and justify to themselves why this isn't as bad as this thing they don't like on the left long enough that those policies can come into play. And that then becomes normalized because that's what happens on the right. They yeah. grin and they, they look the other way, they rationalize it long enough for those things to become normalized. And then they don't nearly hate them as much anymore. And that's what it gets really scary. So that was a long, long circle to draw all of that together. But <laughs> no, I, I think they are, they are linked, right? Yeah, and it, it's, um, it, it's, I, I think, part of what leads us to the final story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which brings us to our last story. Mo's government lead over NDP might not be as wide as the latest polling suggests, according to experts. So in the latest polling by Angus Reid Institute, 57% of respondents say they intend to vote for Scott Moe and the SAS party. And uh, the NDP is at 34%. And uh, then the rest falling into uh, different uh, percentages. 2% for the Liberals and 1% for the Green Party. And then 6% said they would vote for someone that wasn't named in the poll. But they also t talk about how um, there's this isn't the end of the story, with, like as far as the poll goes and, and the way that uh, voting might go in, if uh, things can be done. Uh, yeah, so they talk about the number of factors at play between voting choice and issues of concern. One of the issues, yeah. So one issue is the fact that the poll was conducted between June 7th and 13th while the NDP leadership race was underway. So when people are looking at it and they see, well, they don't have a leader yet, I'm not going to say that I'm supporting them. Yep. So. It makes sense. I, I, again, I, I still think the NDP have a pretty uphill battle. Yes. But it does, it does speak to the importance of having a leader with personality. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and a leader standing for things. Um, and being willing to publicly stand for things. Um, you know, we, we've... You know, I've made the comparison federally before, too. The Liberal Party's policies under Trudeau were not that different than they were under <laughs> Stefan Dion, Michael Ignatieff. Yeah. Like, Michael Ignatieff was more to the right than Trudeau campaigns. Yeah, yeah. At least. Um, but Stefan Dion and, and Justin Trudeau are, are not that vastly different. No. Um, Trudeau's shift to the left, again, especially as far as rhetoric, even if not policy, although even to some degree in policy, um, I think was largely a, a direction the Liberal Party was going to go either way. Like yeah. the Liberal Party has historically shifted left over time. They still do the campaign to the left, govern to the right, yeah. but they're, they're, they have definitely moved along with the social consciousness as that becomes more left within the country. Um, what Trudeau did is he didn't hide it. Right. Like we talk about Trudeau's rhetoric being a lot more left wing than previous leaders, but really it just, he was stating liberal party platform items unapologetically. Right. Like a lot of that was already in the platform. A lot of it was already policy that any liberal leader would come out and implement. Yeah. He just, didn't give a shit about trying to appease those who wouldn't like it. Um, yep. And I think we need to hear Carla Beck do that. And I think if she does, you'll see the that article come to fruition, that people care about the leader. Yeah. A, a leaderless party and a party where people don't know what the party stands for 
gets 34% of the vote. Yeah. As soon as you start standing for things and being willing to alienate a third of the province, and it sounds bad to say it that way, but it's true. If yeah. you um, if you start being willing to alienate a third of the province, you have a much greater chance of capturing the vote of the other two thirds. Yeah. All of a sudden, people are saying, oh, well, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about the NDP, but look at this thing that they're standing for, that they're believing in, that they're saying that I like. And, and yeah. And that's that's gonna. And the conservatives I mean, do that, right? That's right. Like the, the the Sask Party and the conservatives have no problem pissing on people who are in that third of the province that will never vote Sask Party. Oh yeah, they right? they, like, they almost they revel have, in it. <laughs> oh yeah, they have like if the and, and yeah, so they have no problem doing things that are going to anger and upset and enrage voters who will never vote for them. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and I think. From a high ideals, his, the, the future of politics in this country, I think that is bad if both parties sink to it. At the same time, that's also what both parties need to do to win if one party is doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it is bad. <laughs> it's, yeah. like you say, lowest common denominator politics in some ways. But it's also like, well, how do you compete on the level that they're competing on? You can't. Like competes with like, I guess. <laughs> I think what you do is then you implement policies that aren't that, right? Like, I think I think that's, if you want to have those high ideals, yeah. um, you are, are the bare-knuckled fighter in campaigning, and then once you're in office, you don't actively harm your enemies. <laughs> like, you recognize that those who you were those you are willing to piss off are still people you have to take care of yeah um yeah. and that you have to implement policies that uh, nurture and the left has typically done that yeah. um we like in some degrees um if you look at the this province many of the most left-wing policies benefit the most right-wing voters yeah um it, it's um the fact that we have Crown corporations benefits rural voters infinitely more than urban ones. I think it benefits urban voters as well. Don't get me wrong. If we were buying our electricity um, at, you know, I, I think if there was a privately owned um, electricity provider, that would also still hurt people in Saskatchewan or in uh, Saskatoon and Regina. Yeah, um, you and I would pay probably a little bit more for electricity than we are and we would have less reliable service same with our gas and our other utilities yep. um we, we experienced that with rogers recently <laughs> yeah um right like we would experience but those who live in rural areas would be absolutely fucked yeah that's right because someone living in regina who has rogers cell service lost it during that outage yeah Someone in rural Saskatchewan who didn't have SaskTel cell service just wouldn't have cell service. Right. Yeah. Because Rogers and Telus just have no financial incentive to build a cell tower that serves four customers. Yeah. There's no financial incentive for that. Right. right? So that's that is where the left sort of has the say moral high ground, but the the moral um, impetus. Be willing to be assholes while campaigning with the understanding that, you know, 
once you're in office, even if it's someone who will never, ever vote for you in a million years, they are still your constituents. They are still people you need to take care of. They are still people you need to give fair, honest government services to. And that, I mean, that that's the kind of the idea in a lot of left government uh, stuff, right? Is like, we are for all of our constituents, whether they voted for us or not. As opposed to leaving those people behind. <laughs> but I think that's it for today. Um, you can find us. At- well, for time. Yeah. <laughs> Look at us being efficient. Yeah. We're, aw- we're awesome. Um, <laughs> you can find us at anchor.fm slash for many peoples. Our Twitter is very slow the last few weeks, but it's at SK politics pod. Um, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash from many people strength pod you can find the show notes at skeptical leftist pod.wordpress.com or you can send us an email at from many peoples at gmail.com and support the show at buymeacoffee.com slash from many peoples well thank you once again david for your time thank you Corey. i know you've been incredibly busy lately so i'm uh, glad that things have calmed down enough for you that you're able to do all of the behind the scenes work for these because i know I guess said many a time I have I put about an hour and 10 minutes worth of work into this and uh, <laughs> yeah. you put many many times more than that so I appreciate that wholeheartedly so for sure have a fantastic couple weeks and see you in two weeks Good, you too.